So you can get $300 if you need it. But to the example you just referenced, what do you do when it's a thousand? Okay, so you know you, you blow a tire, you have a repair to your car, your refrigerator breaks, you need a new dishwasher. Um, you know, three hundred dollars isn't going to get you very far, and so that's the space that we play in, right? We are looking for every possible way to extend, on average, two thousand dollars actually, to consumers that have FICO scores in the high five hundreds. Welcome to the Tear Sheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller, Tear Sheets Editor in Chief. We've covered a lot about buy now, pay later over the years. BNPL's rise was strong, given how it's embedded into a merchant's checkout process and appealed to younger customers who preferred financing specific transactions and not the revolving credit of a credit card. Honestly, BNPL's take up and growth has overshadowed the emergence of other forms of financing. And one of those is lease to own. If you're of my generation, you're probably familiar with lease to own through rent-a-center commercials. So in my mind, that always associated lease to own with some kind of shady business to finance subpar pre-owned furniture with cigarette burns. Neil Desai is my guest today. He's co-founder and CEO of Caffeine, which takes a lease to own financing model and embeds itself within in-store shopping experiences of over 1,000 merchants. Embedding lease to own opens up new products and experiences for lease to own customers who are primarily subprime buyers. Neil and I talk about the difference between BNPL and lease to own and why there's room for both. We discuss the challenges and opportunities in building out Caffeine's merchant network and the flywheel that Neil feels is kicking in now. We also look at consumer lending in light of what's happening economically today. Neil Desai is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Neil Desai. I am CEO and co-founder of Caffeine, which is a three and a half year old company in the lease to own space. So I definitely want to hear more about caffeine and, and the lease to own space. I know we've covered a little bit of that on, on Tearsheet. It's not something I know a whole lot about, but maybe we can take a step back, Neil, and talk about the impact uh, that high interest rates are having on consumers and on the industry, I guess, as a whole, because this is a topic that is germane to any type of lenders at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, these are really interesting times. Um, the Fed... And, you know, the overall government and, um, you know, powers that be from an economic perspective in the country have explicitly stated they want to slow down the economy, right? And one of the ways that they could do that is by raising interest rates and raising interest rates carries through to a number of uh, impacts. One of which, as we've seen, is Silicon uh, Valley Bank. <laughs> Silicon Valley Bank, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so so yeah, I'll get to that, which is sort of unintended consequences, right? Okay. But the, the intended consequence is that it makes it more expensive for people to borrow money. Now the challenge is rising interest rates are a pretty blunt tool. And so the Fed can't neatly um predict or control how that's going to flow through the system. On the one hand, it accomplishes pretty good things, right? Um, what you saw over the last 10 years or so was um, financialization of a lot of companies and assets, meaning, you know, guys go out, they, you know, raise a ton of money at low interest rates, and they go out and they just buy assets and create speculative bubbles, and they create all kinds of distortion with respect to fair value. Um, and that tends to create market inefficiencies, which are generally a bad thing. So from that perspective, the Fed raising rates and constricting that kind of activity is a good thing, right? Um on the other hand, rising rates make it more expensive for companies that are focused on extending consumer credit. And I'll differentiate between um, you know, relatively good consumer credit and relatively poor consumer credit. Okay, So 
relatively poor consumer credit first might be things that we would look to as you know discretionary purchases that may or may not be required. Um, you can look at a lot of BNPL companies that have been in the news lately for facilitating purchases of beauty products or makeup or clothing and consumers not really understanding how much leverage they really have taken on. Um, as interest rates rise, it's harder for companies like that to extend uh, loans or credit to their consumer base. And so that spending comes in, which is, again, probably a good thing or at least a neutral thing. The challenge occurs when credit gets constrained for goods that consumers really need, right? And so this is things that we've, that, you know, caffeine focuses on things like appliances or electronics, right? Tires, wheels, things that are necessary. Unfortunately for the Fed and for the consumer, rising interest rates impacts us too, right? And so it does in some capacity diminish our ability to extend credit to the consumers that really need it. And so we have to be really creative to find a way to keep that credit flowing. Overall, I think what you are starting to see is that there's only so much creative engineering that uh, beneficiaries of low interest rates, you know, could take advantage of going forward. And you're starting to see a lot of businesses that aren't really required, you know, they're starting to fold and they're starting to feel a lot of stress. Businesses like ours, <clears throat> excuse me, businesses like ours, where uh, the company is designed to serve a real need in the market are able to find ways to adjust and continue to survive. And what I think you'll see in the next two to three, four years is that they'll really thrive as the competition becomes a little bit leaner. Some of the distortions are worked out in the market. Um, companies like ours will be able to continue to serve consumers with a, you know, an offering that makes a lot of sense for them. Well, I, I would love to hear what maybe you think some of those levers are um, for companies to adjust in this market. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk about, I guess, the difference between, I guess what you're addressing is sort of the elasticity of, of, of the good, right? Like, is this something that people can do, do without? Are we starting to see, I guess, from your perspective, are we starting to see consumers, are they still buying the same amount? Are they just, and, and, and searching out like more and more expensive credit, or are they actually pulling back yet on saying, I'm not, I'm going to forego the purchase of that refrigerator right now? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, we saw pretty resilient customer behavior through November, December, and even January. February was the first month where we started to see some impact, and March has been more impactful still in terms of mm -hmm. consumers pulling back from um, a lot of types of discretionary spending. You mentioned Silicon Valley Bank earlier. That banking crisis and the ongoing impacts of that are actually showing up significantly in consumer spending patterns. It's not that they have less money. It's that we've started to hit a tipping point in terms of customer perceived fragility, right? How, how customers are worried about the macro. We're starting to get to the point where even though jobs for most, um, you know, most of the labor force are intact, you know, unemployment's still pretty much at an all-time low, <clears throat> fear is starting to creep into the system. And that fear is driving uh, a little bit more responsible purchasing behavior. So given that fear, um, Neil, how, how do you see, I guess, the different options stacking up for consumers uh, as, as they look at ways to finance their consumption? Yeah, I think, first of all, I am a huge proponent of uh, cutting expenses across the board, whether it is at the fiscal level for a company or whether it's at the you know personal consumption level for a consumer. If there's something you don't need to buy and you're running thin on your savings, like just hold for a bit, right? Are so, you a minimalist? Do you go that far? 
I am not quite a minimalist, but I definitively think that one should think probably two or three times before making a large purchase um, <clears throat> and not purchasing on impulse, right? I rarely buy anything on impulse. Um, so consumers, I think, that are you know starting to exhibit more and more responsible buying behavior, that's probably a good trend, right? And if the trigger for that is fear or uncertainty about the future, or whether the trigger for that is just diminished access to easy credit, um, it's probably a good thing. Um, on the other hand, there are entire classes of expenditures that we just can't control: rent, food. Um, in our case, you know, for caffeine, appliances, you you know, tires. If you get a flat, you have to replace it. And so, the question then becomes: Okay, is there enough? Uh, you know, is there enough of a buffer in the system to absorb these kinds of expenses at the personal level? And if not, then, you know, my hope is that companies like ours can continue to extend credit to consumers so that they can get these necessary purchases uh, taken care of. So, so what can a consumer do today? Obviously, you mentioned BNPL. Um, they could take out more credit cards. They can hit credit, uh, payday loans. Like, I, I, can you sort of lay out um, what consumer options are and vis-a-vis -vis doing that, position caffeine and and lease to own in there. Yeah, sure thing. So we are in an interesting period where consumers have a fair number of options, right? I'll break it down in a relatively non-traditional way, which is just to think about it by dollar amount. So let's just make the world really simple. Let's call it small dollar, big dollar, okay? And let's also talk about the 100 million Americans that don't have uh, access to sufficient credit, okay? So you've got you know, a huge population out there of prime consumers that essentially has access to nearly unlimited credit, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. But for most consumers here in, in the United States, uh, their credit cards are near limits. Okay. So if they need to buy something and it's a, call it $300 purchase or lower, maybe it's a medical bill, maybe it's an unexpected grocery bill, maybe the kids need books Those for tires school. you keep mentioning. Yeah. Well, tires are a thousand dollars. If you, I don't know, the last time you had a flat tire, but you replace four tires and right. you're, you're you a thousand. You got to get to work, right? Got to get to work. So, in the small dollar space, there are a lot of options, right? As you mentioned, you can go to a payday, you know, lender, try to get a payday loan. That order of magnitude is three to five hundred dollars. You can, you know, if you have a thousand or fifteen hundred dollar credit card and you've got some spare capacity, you can use some of that. You can go to a pawn shop if you have to, right? You can, you know, these are not. Um, appetizing options, but they are, are options. You can get that financing a number of ways. You can borrow from a friend. For that matter, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are offering, you know, intra-week paycheck advances, right? So you can get $300 if you need it. But to the example you just referenced, what do you do when it's a thousand? Okay. So, you know, you, you blow a tire, you have a repair to your car, your refrigerator breaks, you need a new dishwasher. Um, you know, $300 isn't going to get you very far. And so that's the space that we play in, right? We are looking for every possible way to extend on average $2,000 actually to consumers that have FICO scores in the high 500s on average, right? So this is a space where it is very difficult to use traditional types of lending products to serve that need. Number one, the consumer won't get enough money. And number two, the lender wouldn't get paid back in a, in a way that would make the business sustainable. Caffeine has figured out how to do this. And the way that we do this is by using a structure called lease to own. And what lease to own does is it essentially recharacterizes the transaction at point of sale 
rather than being an unsecured loan where the consumer then takes that money and goes out and buys the product, Caffeine goes out and buys the product on the consumer's behalf. We then rent the product back to the consumer over a period of 12 months on average. And to the extent the consumer completes their rental payments or exercises any number of uh, early, or early purchase options, the consumer owns the good. In that regard, it functions a lot like a 12-month installment loan, right? The key difference, though, and this is really important for our consumer base, is that the consumer can cancel any time. This is technically a rental agreement that auto renews every month. And so- Which case, what, caffeine gets stuck with the with the good? Which case we get stuck with the good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, we obviously have to find a way to make that profitable, and we have, right? But um, from a consumer flexibility standpoint, especially in our consumer base, and especially in a macro environment that's getting a little bit dicey, that cancellation flexibility is really important. So- you know, you can think about, you know, are you going to cancel the tires on your car? No, probably not, right? But maybe you cancel, you know, if you if you upgraded, um, you know, your television, semi-discretionary purchase, or you, you know, purchased a new dining table or, you know, a bedroom set or something like that. These are types of things where if times get tough, the consumer can use their discretion to make a determination as to whether or not they want to keep making payments on that item. And if they don't, they put the item back to us. No credit impact, right? In fact, their credit score will still go up because they've probably made a few payments before they've, you know, exercised that return option. So, you know, caffeine is really focused on financing the types of goods that can be essentially rented back to the consumer. And in doing so, it's able to provide multi-thousand dollar credit offerings where, uh, or multi-thousand dollar purchasing power where uh, traditional lending falls way short. And so that requires um, building out a merchant network. Is that correct? That's correct. We are um, partnering with you know over a thousand retailers and signing up several hundred every month. So we're, we're we're starting to grow very quickly, and we partner with those retailers to make sure that when a customer walks into that retail location, um, there's a way to get that customer financed. And uh, so they get paid up front, and the idea is that ideally, if there's more financing options, the customers, they'll, they'll see more demand. Is that right? That's right. It's actually pretty shocking. But if you think about, um, you know, your average furniture store, or appliance store, electronics store, 50% of their transactions, um, the customers don't have enough purchasing power, 50%. Now, by dollar, that's by count. By dollar, it's about 20%. But from a margin perspective, this is incredibly valuable for retailers. Retailers will typically offer something like their own branded credit card, right? If you walk into a, you know, a, a, a Best Buy or you walk into, you know, a Crate and Barrel or something like that, there's that branded credit card that they offer well-qualified consumers. But what about the other half of the population? So in a world without caffeine as a lease-to-own option, that other half of the population either spends less money or can't afford to make the purchase at all right? Caffeine is designed to be there for that part of the population for whom, you know, the store brand credit card or the synchrony offering just doesn't make sense. They don't qualify. And I guess another major difference, as you've described, Neil, is that I think the, the primary BNPL use case is, is online. Um, and it sounds like you're very much talking about in-person, in-store traffic, right? Yeah, this is a huge distinction. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. We are 99% plus in physical stores, right? And if you think about why that's the case, it's because that's where the purchasing behavior is, right? 
or the types of categories that we're in, appliances, tires, et cetera, there just isn't that much transaction volume yet online. Now we acknowledge that that may change going forward. Um, and we also acknowledge that a lot of companies have uh, attempted to you know, go to the online space first. Some use cases, that's great. For our use case and the types of goods that we're focused on today, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You do want to open the door of the fridge before you buy it, right? See yeah, you fit look, your stuff in there. It is, it is rare. I mean, even if you think about the success of companies like Wayfair, right? Um, Wayfair is, you know, low single digit penetration of the overall furniture market. Most furniture gets purchased because people want to sit on it first, right? They want to walk into the store. They want to see it. They want to touch it um, and then make their buying decision. So, so it's interesting. When I think of lease to own, I think of my childhood. Um, I no longer live in the U.S., but... Uh, watching, you know, commercials for Rent-A-Center and seeing lease to own, because I remember them saying that explicitly during those commercials. And so my mind equates lease to own specifically with Rent-A-Center. Like, I guess, how does that model not not serve customers very well? And, and why haven't we seen more entrepreneurs, um, you know, address this space through lease to own as opposed to doing it through BNPL? Absolutely. Rent-A-Center is a super interesting company because in many ways, it laid the foundation for what caffeine does. And from that regard, um, they've done a lot of really good work, right? They started, you know, as you mentioned, and continue to be, you know, an operator of brick and mortar locations that is renting goods to the consumers. The problem is that um, these are relatively old school technology businesses. And the way that they'd make their money is through um, pricing that would um, essentially be significantly higher than the value of the service being delivered. Okay, so it's if like the pay, It's like a payday loan in the form of a of a lease. It's it's markup Backed after out. markup after markup, mm-hmm. right? To the point where um, the consumer is paying a tremendous amount of money for a good that is typically used and low quality. Right. So if you walk into a rent a center today, um, what you'll see is uh, you'll see furniture, you'll see TVs, you'll see sofas, but the sofas have cigarette burns, the refrigerator smells, the television has a crack or a scratch on it. Right. Everything is, you know, lightly used, I guess they would call it. Right. Um, and the upshot of it is that the consumer is essentially spending a lot of money and getting pretty low value for price. Right. So given that the consumer is getting pretty low value for price, they don't have a lot of options either. Right. I mean, that's part of it. And they don't have any other options. Right. Uh 20 years ago, they didn't know, even 10 years ago, what choice did they have? They couldn't walk into the corner furniture store that was selling brand new furniture, you know, that's durable, you know, that has durable construction and um, a cheaper price, but they couldn't get financed there. And so they had, they had no other options. Caffeine will partner with that furniture store down the block. Caffeine now, presents an opportunity for that consumer to look at the total spend that they would be spending in a rent center which still exists, and compare it with the total spend that they would be spending at that retailer down the block that is designed to serve all types of customers and typically offers significantly better value for price. And so we facilitate, as a company, higher quality goods getting into our consumers' hands at lower prices. And the way that we do that is by not worrying about how to maintain inventory, not having, you know, all of the overhead associated with brick and mortar locations. We let retailers handle retailing. We let ourselves handle the financing end of it. 
that's well, where you we're do, you do you do have exposure to that that scenario we talked about if if a customer puts back the the good so i would assume that was a major hurdle um why why lease to own hasn't been more penetrated for in, in sort of this generation of technology firms um how, yeah. how do you how do you deal with that and and how do you how do you address that piece that you know you in a way you're a, you're 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 an owner absolutely we you know, look, we we always want to see our customers acquire ownership of the good to the extent that uh, they can do so. Okay, so most situations where a consumer wants to uh, cancel their their agreement, we get to the heart of why. Okay, if it's a low quality good or the good is broken, we have an obligation to fix or replace, and so that's what we do. Okay, in the situation where there is a you know payment issue, um, you know, maybe there's an unexpected expense that needs to be covered or, you know, there's job loss or anything of that nature, we will work with the consumer to extend that term out, right? So instead of it being a 12 month term, we'll go 24, we'll go 36, cut those payments in half, cut those payments by a third, whatever we need to do to, uh, to essentially um, try to make sure that that consumer ends up owning that good. But in the cases where that doesn't work out, we do, we go out, we pick up the item and we uh, dispose of it typically. So, one of the things we've always maintained at Tearsheet was that, you know, BNPL is just a, a form of a payment. Um, it's one particular type of payment, uh, least to own, you know, could be considered in a similar vein. Do, do you see longer term um, companies, we've seen this definitely on the BNPL side, start to integrate more forms of payment so that it's like, we don't need it exclusively to be a BNPL player. I don't necessarily need to be an LTO player. Or is there something unique about LTO that at, at the business level means you have to stay really super focused at that? There are, you know, look, there are, there's a massive proliferation of payment options right now, right? Um, I find it highly unlikely that we would see 25 logos on any website. Or you I don't know if you've seen it. Somebody mocked that up on LinkedIn. There is an image floating around with like 10, you know? Yeah, it's, it's absurd, right? And, and it's highly unlikely that having that many payment options at checkout uh, improves the outcome for either the retailer or the consumer. It's confusing. It's cluttered. We're still finding our way. What I would say is this. There will always be convenience options, and there will always be options that are born of necessity. Okay. So when I talk about convenience options, you would find essentially that cash or digital wallet payments, credit card usage, high-value uh, credit transactions, those things are all essentially substitutes, right? For a well-qualified prime consumer, if they had to make a purchase using any one of the 16 different methods available to them, they're just going to choose the one that is most convenient. And right now there is a lot of uh, focus on transparency. That's not always going to be the case. Transparency will become table stakes. You're seeing credit cards, you know, increase transparency. Apple Pay later, okay? So that is a space what what you know what what largely you're finding one payment method substituting another on the other hand lease to own is unique in that lease to own you have no other options if that retailer doesn't carry caffeine or another lease to own option it's going to definitively miss sales there is no substitute our consumers don't have the ability to pay in cash they don't have the cash they can't pay with the credit card they don't have in, you know they don't have sufficient uh line left and so um while I think there's going to be significant consolidation, I do think that there is always going to be a place for options such as ours for certain consumers. Now, the interesting thing is lease to own under different names is moving up market. 
right? We can call these things subscriptions. If you think about your cell phone and the payment plan that most people are on in the United States for their cell phones, it's, you know, essentially X dollars per month over three years, then upgrade. And it feels like something fundamentally different. It's not, it's lease to own. Okay. It's just called something else. And so as lease to own starts to get into territory, that is again, one where it's delivering a convenience benefit for consumers, well, it's going to have to compete, and I think it will compete successfully against other convenience methods, but it doesn't have the same necessity attached that it does for the primary demographic. I get that. Thanks for explaining it. Um, we're getting near the end of our conversation, so um, I want to ask you, what's next for Caffeine? Like, it, it sounds like you guys, we talked about the ma macroeconomic sort of um, challenges and opportunities here, um, and we also talked about the growth in your merchant network. Like, what are some of your big priorities this year, Neil? Yeah, we have we have two major priorities. Priority number one is we expect further macro instability. And as that instability occurs, it becomes more and more important for us to deliver uh, more financing opportunity at larger scale to consumers that are going to need it. Flexibility is going to become increasingly important, important as consumers, um, you know, suffer, you know, whatever potential negative consequences there may be coming down the road. And so number one is just scale. Right, we have to do more, cheaper, faster, more efficiently to serve more consumers. Initiative number two is to take the core ability that we have to understand this consumer behavior quite well and take it into adjacent markets. So we are launching, um, you know, I don't talk too much about it yet, but we're launching um, additional verticals very soon so that we can have that same elegant point of sale experience for other types of you know service and 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 goods providers at point of sale and you'll you'll hear more about that in the next three to six months yeah looking forward to hear that um fascinating conversation appreciate you joining us this today on the Tearsheet podcast now delighted to be here and thank you so much for uh for being such a great host thank you